0: The people that think they know it all, that they don't need accountability, they don't need mastermind groups, are gonna live, first of all, a very lonely life because we were created to live in community, not as islands. Second of all, what is wrong with having the benefit of 12 other lenses to see how you
1: should or shouldn't be doing something? Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder and that was today's guest, serial entrepreneur and coach, Aaron Walker. Now, Aaron has 35 years of business experience, coupled with 20 years of being a close friend of Dave Ramsey's, and that's given him a unique perspective on business and life. You're not going to want to miss it. As you just heard in the clip just now, Aaron is a big fan of mastermind groups, and my partner John Ramstead, he's a member of one of them, and John We've got a special announcement for our listeners on this very topic.
2: Yeah, Steve, we've been planning this for a while, and we're so excited to do this because, you know, everybody knows our passion, right? It's to help people find their calling and their purpose, live a full a life fully alive, and just succeed at life. And, you know, this podcast for both Steve and I has just been this incredible journey. We've been able to meet so many wonderful people, and we've been able to take all this information Uh, And all of our life experiences and apply it to just like the work I'm doing with coaching. I also run not only am I in Aaron's mastermind group, but I run a couple mastermind groups. So here's what we want to uh, announce for you guys. You know, something to share, you know, creating a life fully alive can really be a challenge. And we've gotten a lot of feedback from you, the audience about this. I want to tell you one thing. It is easier to do that when you spend time around like-minded people. So sometimes these are known as mastermind groups, and what these groups can do is just give you honest feedback, help you refine your ideas, share insights, maybe give you, you know, leads on what to do next. Uh, Most importantly, they can just inspire you with their successes and support you. You know, we have setbacks uh, all the time. Uh, maybe uh, maybe I'm speaking for myself there, but you know more often than not. But they can also be great learning events. Now, most of us have some very helpful professional contacts, maybe some people that are mentoring or discipling us. But what we want to create is really uh, a community focused on people helping one another. So to do that, you have to take action and create it. So let me ask you a question. Uh, we're going to host this virtual eternal leadership get-together. It's going to be a small, intimate group of like-minded, kingdom-minded entrepreneurs, business owners, and leaders. The purpose of this is to meet, expand our networks, mastermind, and just see how we can serve and support each other, develop some new relationships. So uh, it's going to be in a mastermind format. There's no cost to this at all. We're going to share ideas, talk about how to grow our business, our faith, get perspective, clarity, accelerate our growth. Uh, It's going to be casual. There's going to be a ton of great people. Uh, who are doing big things just like you. And Steve and I would love for you guys to join us. Uh, there's only going to be room for 10 people. Uh, so to get the details on this, just go to eternalleadership.com forward slash mastermind. There's a personal video for me just talking about the night. It's going to be on Thursday, November 12th. And we're excited to see you there live virtually. Um, so Steve, take it away. <laughs>
1: eternalleadership.com mastermind is the link for you to take a look at that and like we said when this one fills up we're going to do some more of these and hopefully continue to just build community around this show so without further ado here's my partner John Ramstead as he chats with Aaron Walker on this edition of eternal leadership
2: you have such a great depth of experience so not only are you marked with 35 years of marriage which is just an awesome success in today's culture, but 35 years in business as an entrepreneur. One thing I think is great is, uh, you know, you spent, what, 19 years of being uh, coached personally and working with Dave Ramsey. I'm sure you did as much coaching back to Dave as he's done with you. (laughs) We grew our businesses together. I'll tell a
0: fun story in a minute about Dave, but yeah, we've been together over 20 years now. Yeah, Dave's one of my best
2: friends. Oh, he's awesome, and, and Dan Miller. We're about to have Dan Miller on the the podcast, and awesome. he is just a light out there. Also, so um, I, I'm just uh, the topic we're going to be talking about today is really you know how to live a life fully alive, how to live that life that's successful and significant in. Um, you know, hearing you, Aaron, and, and hearing you talk and what you've written, you have been able to just pull things together in a way for people that's just so practical, so actionable. So I'm really excited to to dive in here. But before we dive into that, Aaron, I would love for you to just share a little about who you are, your background, your journey, just so people can get to uh, to know you. Sure. Well, to identify myself, first of all, I'm a Christ follower. Now. For a living, I
0: get to coach ordinary men into being extraordinary. So that's kind of who I am. That's what I do. But a little backstory. I'll take you back a long way. I'm 55 now, so let me take you back. When I was 13 years old. I started working in a pawn shop. At 15, John, I decided I wanted to do this for a living. I can't even believe now at 15 that I decided what I wanted to do. But I loved interacting with the people. I came from a very humble, very poor background. We had nothing. My dad never made over $15,000 a year in his life. So I know all about being poor and broke. Now you grew up in Tennessee? I did, Nashville. I'm a native Nashvillian. Still live here today. I love it. Y'all don't think you could drag me away, but uh, <laughs> I love Nashville. It's a great city. But uh, my dad was a general contractor, and I helped him during the summer some, and I knew what I didn't want to do for a living. I didn't want to work that hard physically, and that's what I knew I didn't want to do. So through grit and perseverance and determination, I went on to go in business for myself. At 18 years old, I met a couple of guys in the insurance agency, had a lot of money. We formed a partnership. I went to them and said, hey, let's get together, open our own pawn shop, and we did. God really blessed it in 20. Uh, By the time I was 21 years old, just three short years later, we paid off a 10-year loan of $150,000, and we had a paid-for business at 21 years old. I opened my second store, and we repeated that, John, four times. And then when I was 27 years old, a company in Fort Worth, Texas called Cash America. They were growing through acquisitions, and they wanted to be in Tennessee, specifically Nashville. And they came and made me an offer, and I won't take you through that process, but it took about six months to finally work out the details, and we did, and at 27, I was through. I was completely finished from 18 to 27, and I didn't have to work anymore, and I thought, man, how great is this going to be? This is perfect. And what I soon found out is I became very depressed, very bored, gained 50 pounds in 18 months, getting in the bed in the middle of the day. John, I had no purpose. I had no meaning in my life. I had no reason to get up. Right, So I sat on the couch and played golf and fished, and that soon became very tiring. And my wife told me, you got to go back to work. So I went back to work, went to the pawn shop I started with, formed a partnership. We spent the next 10 years building that four times the size it was when I started 10 years prior. And then, John, this is the part of my story I don't like, uh, but I'm going to have to tell it because it's part of my story. So August 1st, 2001, I'm driving to the office everything's beautiful. It's hot, you know, it's hot in Nashville. It's humid in the middle of August. And this was at the first of August and I'm driving down the road and I saw a guy crossing the street to catch the city bus. And he paused in the middle of the road, you know, and I accelerated again to start back. And when I did, he just didn't see me, ran right out in front of me. And unfortunately I hit him. He lived three days in the Vanderbilt trauma unit and passed away and it rocked my world. I got out of the car and I was shaking so hard. I was saying, God, I can't believe this is happening. It was so surreal. It was just like almost a dream. It was like, this is really not happening. And it was terrifying. So Robin was in Florida with the children. They were on a mission trip and she came home the next day and we had a long discussion. After about a month, we decided to retire for the second time. I said, I've retired more than the law allows. And so I retired and we took a break. We took five years off. We traveled, we built another house, kind of changed the scenery, and we really were praying through what God had for us next, and what I discovered through that was that I had a tremendous amount of success early, but I had no significance. You know, we were talking, you know, pre-interview about uh, our legacy, and my legacy was going to be as he came from, you know, somewhat of poverty, And made a little money by the time he was 27 and his sole focus was on himself. And I started thinking about that and it started really bothering me. And I thought, I don't want to leave that legacy. I don't want it to appear to be selfish. So I started praying about it and thinking about it. And five years later, Robin goes, okay, you're getting fat and lazy again. It's time for you to do something. My wife keeps me in check, John, just (laughs) just, uh, put that in the show notes. Aaron's wife keeps him in check. And she said you know, you got to do something because you're getting on my nerves sitting around here and we need to do something. So I went in the construction business and, uh, like everything, I want to go pedal to the metal, full throttle. So we built that business to the number one builder, three consecutive years here in middle Tennessee. And then I turned 50 and I retired and my buddies, Dan Miller, it's been my personal coach and mentor for 15 plus years Dave Ramsey, they said, man, you're too young to quit. You can't quit. You got to do something. You and Robin have got this 35-year marriage and now I've been in business 37 years. And they said, you got too much to offer to just sit on the couch. I said, I'm not coaching anybody and I'm not doing anything. And they said, no, 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 no. You need to coach. So Dave invited me to Entree Leadership Mastery Series. He gifted it to me. Don't tell anybody. But anyway, it was an expensive <laughs> gift. Hey, we he won't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. All you listeners, don't call Dave and tell him I told you that. And then Dan called me and said, go through Innovate out here at uh, the sanctuary. And I did that. And he texted me that night on the way home. And he said, Avery, those guys were leaning in when you were talking. Did you notice that? And I said, well, I noticed, but there was nobody else talking. And he said, no, 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 no. Seriously, you need to coach. So I started praying about it, coached a couple of guys. And John is taking off from there. Now I've got national and international clients and I host three mastermind groups. And God's just given me a platform to be able to encourage people, empower them, uh, help them take their business to the next level. So I get the privilege every day now to help these ordinary men become extraordinary. So it's just been a blessing.
2: Well, it sounds like now, Aaron, if I if, there's a, a pattern that I'm sensing as as you're going back, you, you get to the the peak of the mountain and something sets you back. And and you take some time, just you know, four or five years at a time, to just really think about what could be next. Now, as you're moving into this season of your life, and you know, in a, you're talking about significance, how do you define that? What, what does that mean to you?
0: Well, what I had to do personally is I had to define success. Okay. And so I want to talk about that for a little bit. I had to say, how do I know when I've won? Right. I mean, what metrics are in place to say it's not just more? And I hear people every day and I used to do it too. I used to be guilty saying, when I get over there, when I get just a little more, well, how much more? And then when you get that and you find out it doesn't scratch the itch. Mm-hmm. And then I say, well, I'm going to be happy when this happens. And then that happens then I'm really not any happier than I was before. You know, statistics show us that from from absolute dead broke to about $70,000, it gives us immense pleasure and happiness. But above $70,000, it doesn't move the needle much, right? Because we get outside of our basic needs and we find out these tangible possessions, you know, don't really scratch the itch like you thought it was going to. And I tell people not to demotivate them. I want you to continue to do good. I want you to aspire, but I wanted to be sure you keep the main thing, the main thing. And so I had to decide okay, Robin, what is success for us when we get to this level of recurring revenue, when we have a business that does this, then we're like, that's been successful for us. So we set those benchmarks and we said, this is when we get here, we've won. We've been successful financially. My schedule was another thing. I really wanted to control my schedule. I've not worked for anybody since I was 18 years old, soon to be 55. So I like that. I like getting up today saying, hey, I think I'm going to talk to John Ramstead today instead of going and doing this. I can do that. And I don't have the ability to do that if I'm working for somebody else. So for me, that was really important. Two or three of the other things that are really important to me is family. I love to have an engaging family and meaningful relationships. I got men that I am involved with, have been for 30 years in accountability groups, mastermind groups. We really pour a lot of time into each other. We travel. We've got a little trip planned in two weeks we're gonna take with three other guys that are my accountability partners and our wives. So those things are really important to me. So I consider that success. My family lives within five minutes of me, all my kids. I got four and a half grandkids. and so they're, they're all within five minutes. So that's we even moved closer to my kids so I could be around my grandkids. A couple of other things for me for success was having a clear conscience with every transaction, a lot of the times we'll do things that are kind of in the gray area. And I didn't want to operate in the gray area. I wanted to be totally convinced that the things I were doing for people, I had a clear conscience. Then I had to learn to take care of myself physically. And the big one for me in success is learning to be content without being complacent. And the difference in those is electing to be happy. See, happiness is a choice, not a trait. And a lot of people think when I get this or that, it's going to make me happy, and that's not the case. Not being complacent, though, I love to grow businesses. I'm doing as well now in this business as any business I've ever owned, so I'm not sitting on the couch watching reruns of Andy Griffith. I want to move the needle. I want to go forward, right? I don't want to be complacent, but I want to learn to be content. Yeah, I
2: call it happily discontent. Right. You got to have happiness and joy in your life, but if you're ever content and complacent with where you're at and you in pl- your plateau, uh, a good mentor, a mentor of mine used to say, if you're green, you're growing. And if you're ripe, you're rotting. And I think that's probably how you felt, uh, way back when, when you'd that, that peak. And there was just for five years, you weren't being productive. You weren't doing anything. You weren't engaging in anything that was bigger than yourself. And you just felt like you were going backwards. And it was really pretty selfish because as a Christ follower, I believe that God gave
0: me talents and I Mm -hmm. believe he gave me talent to encourage and empower others. And I also believe he gave me a talent to make money. And it was pretty selfish. What I was saying is I got enough for me. Good luck. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's not letting your light shine. (laughs) That's not encouraging others. That's not helping others, you know, but I like to dream and establish goals. And I want to understand my faith better. I want to trust in the higher power. Uh, which is God, I want to have meaning and purpose in my life, and then I want to leave a legacy of wisdom. And I thought, if I accomplish these things, it will be successful. But the piece that was missing, as you asked me earlier in the question, is significance. And then I thought, I don't even know how to do that practically. You know, what are the practical steps in being significant? Because you can't put a blanket over the community and say, if you'll do these things, you'll be significant. I think God speaks to each one of us. And I think he tells us, this is your time to do this or that. I do think there's some practical things that we can do tangibly. And some of the things that I enjoy doing is meeting the needs of others. It takes the focus off of yourself. It's like helping people that maybe can't repay you. And you say, well, explain that. Well, oftentimes, John, you know as well as I do, we'll do things in business because we know there's a reciprocity. Right. It's just good business, but you got to be careful with that because then your motivation is to get and not to give. And Adam Grant wrote a really good book called Givers and Takers.
2: Yeah, that is a very good book. And And you're right. That is kind of the, the standard practice, kind of the standard mindset of a lot of people in business. You're at a networking meeting, you're looking across the crowd and you're like, okay, who here would be a good relationship that can help me financially or my business versus maybe looking at the people that you need to almost have that conversation with so into maybe meet a need that will never come back to you financially.
0: You know, the other thing you pointed out just now, you're at this meeting and you're talking to somebody. So John and I are standing there talking and maybe we haven't met in person. We've met over the phone, but I'm standing there talking to you. And if you ever noticed, John, at those events, which I don't personally like, but They keep looking left and right and they Mm. watch the door as it opens. They're more interested in what's going on around them rather than the conversation you're engaged in. And it's very difficult to do this, but I've trained people to do this and teach them. When you're in a conversation, you engage that person. You look into their eyes and you build blinders and do not pay attention to the person to the left or the right. And people tell me all the time, when I'm talking to you, I feel like you're really listening. And the reason they feel that way is because I'm looking at them and I don't take my eyes off. And, you know, when the waitress walks up, the waitress walks up, I'll finish the conversation. Then I'll engage the waitress or the door will open and it takes practice. But you can't look over there because every time you look over there, you're sending a signal to that person. You're not interested in this conversation. And I tell everybody, stop waiting your turn to talk. Right. Listen to the person you're talking to. Then that lets them know that you are significantly interested in them and what they're saying. I went to buy a car a couple months ago mm-hmm. and the guy walked up and I said, I want a blue car. This is a color leather I want. And this is what I want to pay. This is a model. And he said, I got everything with the color. He said, come over here. I've got that same car. It's red. I said, I don't want a red one. I want a blue car and I want this color leather interior. This is a model. He said, the red one's on sale. And I'm like, he doesn't get it. He's not listening. He's wanting to make the sale He's not interested in getting me what I want. So to be significant, stop waiting to make the sale. Stop trying to push something. Just listen. to people. we make business, John, way harder than it is. If you'll just listen to people, they'll tell you what they want and then go fill the order. Whatever it is, it's a service or a widget, whatever it is, just listen to people. Spend your effort and energy significantly trying to help them rather than selling them something.
2: What well, also sounds like, uh, Aaron, your your focus is really how do I really understand this person? It's really about relationships, isn't it? Developing 100%. some true, deep real relationships, relationship. and that's really missing in today's culture. Well, because we're so worried
0: about what we want to do, that's the reason it's so hard for people to build a thriving business. Now they're trying to figure out a way to uh, tease you or to get, and then the person's dissatisfied. Take a little bit more time and really meet their need. And it's all about relationships. One hundred percent. Every business I've ever built has been based on deep relationships. And then it lasts. Right. That's the reason I've had successful businesses is because I'm concerned about the person rather than making the sale. And as a direct result of that, you'll have more sales.
2: So when you think of just the term significance and, you know, develop, you know, the sincere, deep interest in people building these relationships, how, how, where do you see the link between those two, Aaron?
0: Well, I think that you absolutely have to prioritize whatever goals you have with other people in mind. And see, a lot of the times we just want to fit the bill for what we want. We just want to sit down and say, I want to accomplish this or I want to get this. I wanted the business to get here. But if you start prioritizing your goals with other people in mind, it's, it's not realistically true. But I said people will stand in line to hand you money, right? Because they know that, It's so unusual for that person to be that interested in you. When we had the construction industry, let me tell you how we became number one three consecutive years. Thinking outside the box, which I love to do. I love to look at it. People that say, oh, it's always been done this way. I'm like, oh, don't tell me that because it doesn't have to be done that way. You know, John, when you build a new house, they give you a year warranty. That's a state law. So what we would do rather than running from our responsibilities At the end of the year, we would have these houses that we'd build dated. And I would call you and say, John, a year ago, we built you a house. Hope things are going well. I know there's got to be some things that we need to tweak, you know, some nail pops or trim that needs to be painted. Please make a list and call me, and we'll be out there next week to fix it. And the phone would go silent. It'd be like, what? Nobody does that. No, that's why I did it. But you know what? John has got three buddies. And those three buddies are going to do well in their business. Who do you think John's going to say when they say, we're going to build a new house? Oh, my goodness. You got to call Aaron because he called me. You're not going to believe this. He called me when the warranty was up. Well, you're going to end up fixing it anyway. If you're in a community, right, you're going to do it anyway. Why not be proactive? That's a little bitty example of what we all could do in our business. And it's building that relationship. As a result of that, we built great friendships with these people that we built houses and we became number one builder three consecutive years in a row because we offered that kind of service. If we did something and it was our fault, we weren't argumentative. We would say, you're exactly right. I'm going to own that. I'm going to take responsibility and we're going to fix it. They were ready for the argument. They had their fist up like ready. And I'm like, they're like, what? I'm like, we're going to fix it. And they couldn't believe it. We'd spend some money fixing things that were our fault. Just take ownership, take responsibility and do it. It makes the experience a lot more enjoyable, first of all, for you and for them. And I'm just saying, building the relationships by doing it with integrity and honesty, a person of character is the first link in being significant.
2: So, you know, if you look at the end of your life someday and you're you're looking back, right, what they're going to say about you at your funeral and all, all this work that you've done that's going to clearly outlive what you've done, Aaron, what what advice would you give to people that that are just thinking about all these issues, looking at their life, you know, they maybe they don't have the financial resources or maybe they're running a, a huge company and they do, but what would you tell them about how to look at the end of your life and look back and say, you know what, that was significant?
0: Well, I tell people each and every day to live your life on purpose, and live intentionally. And that's the reason I wrote, What Do I Want? It's a three-page document that helps you answer those questions. It helps you say, what do I want to accomplish here and here, how to raise my children, uh, and look ahead. See, it doesn't happen accidentally. The answer to your question won't just happen accidentally. We have to intentionally do it. And we need to have the foresight to invest long-term so that potentially we could impact generations to come. So my vantage point is always not just looking for Friday, but it's looking for the end of the year, end of the decade, into the next generation. And if we'll have that kind of vantage point, your decisions that you will make today will be diametrically opposed to what you were going to do because you were going to do something to just satisfy the need for today. But if you'll take the long-term approach and take a breath, you know, a lot of times, John, you know, you've gotten into this and this is just a little example People have sent you an email and you fire back an email immediately. And the next day, invariably, it's like, man, I wish I hadn't have replied. I wish I hadn't have sent that. I call it the 24-hour rule. I don't reply to anybody for 24 hours on a controversial topic. Every time my answer is different. Well, it doesn't happen accidentally, right? You just need to plan intentionally. By the way, John, if you don't mind, I've got a little gift for your listeners. One is the personal assessment I use on every client. The second one is what do I want this questionnaire? And the third one is steps to a productive day to help you once you understand who you are and what you want. It's kind of a to-do list on steroids. I made a landing page. I hope it's okay. It's viewfromthetop.com forward slash eternal leadership, all in lowercase letters. And I'm going to gift those to your
2: audience. Well, thank you for doing that, uh, Aaron. And those are fantastic resources. Uh, and, and as you were talking, I'm also thinking, you know, you talked about metrics for success with a successful life. Mm-hmm. You know, in these tools you just talked about. How would, you know, like I, I used to be a pilot, uh, flew for 25 years. And, you know, when, you set a, when you're on autopilot, you know, the plane's only on course 5% of the time because you're constantly being moved off of course by the winds and weight and turbulence and the engines but you have to know exactly what that destination is to be able to correct back. So what what would you walk somebody through to maybe set up some metrics for themselves to be intentional when it comes to significance?
0: Great question. Great question, you know, and I'm not a pilot I started to do that one time and then I got nervous about it and didn't. But you know what I found interesting when you were telling that story? If you didn't correct at five degrees, a thousand miles away, by the time you got to your destination, you would miss it by I don't know how many miles. Hundreds and
2: hundreds of miles.
0: Uh huh. It's the same way in our life. It's the little things each and every day. The failures happen as a result of not one single thing, but a combination of multiple smaller things. We're not paying attention well. For me personally, now three decades, I've been in an accountability group. For two decades plus, I've been in a mastermind group with people that are trusted advisors, people that are non-biased, people that can give me an honest answer, not for the simple sake of them uh, wanting to say something that I want to hear, but saying what I need to hear. And so I invite that kind of scrutiny in my life always. I'll write questions and I'll say, how do you see me? Doing this, how do you see me treat my wife, treating my kids, my business, my colleagues, my peers? How do you see me? Because you see yourself differently than other people see you. Well, I want to know how other people see me so I can make those small course corrections so that at the end of the day, I will be successful later. The people that think they know it all, that they don't need accountability. They don't need mastermind groups are going to live, first of all, a very lonely life because we were created to live in community, not as islands. Second of all, what is wrong with having the benefit of 12 other lenses to see how you should or shouldn't be doing something? Robin and I were going to do something. Robin's my wife. We were going to do something about a year and a half ago, major, significant uh, undertaking in our personal lives. And we decided to do it. She said, what about your guys? She said, what do they say? And I said, well, I haven't I haven't polled them yet. So I went. It was a very significant, so I didn't want to do it in the group. So I went individually to each person who had breakfast or coffee and talked to them. Eleven of the 12 guys told me not to do it. Now, listen, it, I had no clue prior to those meetings their perspective. But after they said it, it made perfect sense. But if and you I hadn't
2: said, checked in with those 12. It trusted. would have been a catastrophe. You, you would have gone in the direction you were thinking of. Wouldn't you? Well, I was
0: going to do it without mm-hmm. a question. I was going to do it. And then Robin reminded me, like I said, she keeps me in check. And I went to those guys. Well, that's the benefit of having people around you. Say, I'm way past thinking I know everything because you don't. I can promise none of us. I don't care what age you get. You're not going to know that. because the other people have had different life experiences and they can see things that you can't see. And so I would say the best thing that you can do for the end of your life is to get people around you now that you trust. Have a very diverse group. They don't have to do what you do professionally, but have the same character, the same chemistry. Have a very diverse group, but have people that are wanting to better themselves, wanting to go forward and invest weekly. You know, uh, Dave Ramsey, we met in his office for a decade plus, maybe 12 years, and it's 40 miles from my house to his house. And his office is right down the street from his house. So I'd leave here at six in the mornings. I would drive and get there at seven, make coffee. We'd meet for an hour and a half. We'd straighten up the conference room and I'd leave and I'd get back home at 10. I did that for a decade. You couldn't get an appointment with me on Wednesday mornings from six in the morning to 10 if your life depended on it because it was that valuable to me. Not because it was Dave Ramsey or Dan Miller, because they weren't anybody when we started. Dave Ramsey gave me advertising to try him. Okay, I was his second sponsor 20 years ago. I'd never heard of him. I turned him down. Then he said, just try me for a week. Well, I did, and it forever changed my life as a result of it. And the rest is history. By the way, his ads are not free anymore. (laughs) They're very, very expensive. (laughs) We've been on his show every day for two decades now, either a business I own or have owned. And so it's very, very much worth the effort and the energy to advertise on his show. But that's, that's not a sales pitch for his show. He's got a waiting list to get on there. But my point is, is you say, well, I would be in a group, too, if I could be in there with him. But he wasn't him then, right? We got well, I think together. that's a great
2: perspective, right? Yeah, You're that, not looking for thing. all these big names, these people are huge guys networks today, right? You're just looking for people that Good people. share your values, share your right. commitment, let's say significance, that uh, understand your faith and, and just your definition of both what success and significance mean to keep you on that course.
0: That's it. Just get a great person, right? They don't have to own mega millions in businesses or Ken Abraham's in the group. He's written 100 books, got seven New York Times number one bestsellers. But he didn't 20 years ago. My point is, is get into a group and grow your business. You see the direct result of it. Carnegie is another one that said years ago, he, he attributes his billions to his mastermind group. Not, not because he was that smart, but the collective energy of the people that was around him that held him in the middle of the road, helped him get there. is very, very important.
2: So, Aaron, thinking of this mastermind group, and I love the just the thought of when everybody started. These were just peers of yours at the time where you were in life. If I'm thinking about it right, because there's so many people out there that are like, you know, what can I do today? How can I move forward? But Uh, I am in two mastermind groups and, and run another one, a a men's forum. And, uh, like you, like you said, that time in my calendar every week, I would not sacrifice for anything. Uh, so let's say I have a mastermind group in place. Um, what would be good to talk about either how to put that in place for somebody or kind of what's next? How do you get the most out of this, uh, almost like a personal board of directors?
0: Well, that's exactly what it is. I even tell people that that are wanting to join my group. I said, it's like having your own board of directors, right? Because at your work, the people making the decisions are a little bit biased. They're going to tell you what you want to hear because you're the boss, or they're going to tell you what they want to say because it benefits them. But when you have these guys that have nothing to gain or lose from helping you make this decision, now you're going to get an honest answer. And that's why it's so valuable When you say, what do you talk about? It varies. In our groups, we talk about family a lot because I don't want you to succeed at the office and come home to a family that don't know you. There's a bunch of strangers in the house. And when the kids are grown and gone, you know, now I've got time to play. Now, dad, sorry. Now i got to do my own thing. See, I don't want that to happen to people. So I really tell them if you're going to cheat anywhere, cheat the office and spend time at home. You know, I don't want to tell you that you shouldn't go for it and you shouldn't try to do well and make money. I want you to do that. I love doing that. There's got to be a balance though. And so we talk a lot in our groups about that. The other thing is you put a bunch of men together without a central focus. They're going to talk about the Titans beating Green Bay or they're going to talk about the fish they killed or the hole in one, you know. And that's okay for the first five or ten minutes. But after that, we always, in every group I've ever been in or facilitate, we have a book. And we may not get to the book, but we have assignments where we read. And if you're not reading, get over it and read. You have to read Leaders are readers, and you've got to keep books going on nonstop. You're just not going to wake up smarter. You've got to read and fill your mind with great things. Dan Miller challenged me a decade ago to quit watching the news, and he said, if it's important, somebody else will tell you or you can get the news you want on the Internet. We quit watching the news 10 years ago. We read now. We listen to TED Talks. We listen to podcasts. We read inspirational things, things that are motivational because there's so much great life to live. Than to sit there and hear about all this stuff. You need to be
2: you hear aware, about other people's right? lives, right?
0: Right, right. And so I want to read constantly. So we do that and then we'll kind of go around the horn, you know, if you've got anything important. We've gone for weeks and talked about one guy that was having a crisis or marriage problems or something that he didn't, he didn't know what to do. James Ryle was a Promise Keeper speaker. And uh, he was a cool guy, best storyteller on the planet. He was one of the guys in our group here in Nashville. And uh, so it's a Saturday morning about nine o'clock and I'm at the Ace Hardware. My phone rings and I look down at it and it's James Ryle. And I thought, well, you know, just immediately I thought this is either going to be really good or really bad because we don't talk to each other on weekends because we reserve that for our families. We talk to each other through the week. So I answered it and he and I was going through, I'm um, Jane John, a really tough time personally right then. And for weeks, man, I'd been talking about this thing. I couldn't get over it. John, I don't know if you've ever experienced that kind of thing. It's just, you can't shake it. And so he said, Aaron, he said, I was praying for you this morning. God gave me a word for you. And I thought, man, this is, this is going to be strong. This guy's a promise keeper speaker. I mean, he travels all over the world speaking. I can't even imagine what he's going to tell me. I said, well, hold on a minute. I went out to the parking lot, and I said, let me get out of this store. I told him where I was at, and I said, okay, it's quiet out here. I can hear you now. He said, you ready? And I said, yeah. He said, Aaron, you're wearing the crap out of everybody around you. And the phone just went silent. I said, "I started laughing. I said, excuse me? He said, I'm serious, man. You're wearing the crap out of everybody in our group every week. You just keep on talking about this incident. And I didn't know what to say, and I I, I was mad and I was embarrassed. And I said, well, James, I don't really know what to say. I said, I, I'm sorry you feel that way and I'll try not to do it. And he said, listen, man, he said, in the book of Isaiah, it says, take the chains from around your neck and move on. He said, man, it's time for you to move on. I'll see you. I got to go and hung up. And there I stood in the middle of the parking lot with my cell phone. I'm about to bite a nail into. I'm so mad. And then I think, you know what? For a decade, this guy's been pouring into me and I into him, and he has the right to tell me because he's invested in this relationship. And John, it was a catalyst in changing my life. I was able to get over it because he said it's time to move on. He pushed me. I needed to hear that. Well, if I hadn't been in that group, I may still be languishing in that. And I'm just saying you've got to invest time in people for them to tell you those hard things. He didn't want to say that, but he needed to say that. And I, more than him, needed to hear it. Well, see, we celebrated together. We cried together. We encouraged each other. We stopped each other. That's part of doing life. That is significant. When you're able to spend that kind of time with people and they can tell you, you got to get over this, man. It's time to move on. Well, that's great benefits in living a life that can both be significant and successful.
2: So it sounds like that relationship you had with him, it, it developed where he could tell you the truth, but tell it to you because he loves you from no other place. And, and how few of us actually have those kind of relationships where people can just share us, share with us exactly what we need to hear, even though maybe we don't want to hear it.
0: That's a friend. Mm-hmm. Right. He didn't let me run off the uh, of the street. He, he said, you need to quit doing this because I'm pushing everybody away. Like, I can't get over that. And he really allowed to bring me back to center uh, to where I needed to be. So, you know, the thing is, is uh, there's not a script that you can give people because our lives are not scripted. So if you're going to do accountability, just be genuine. Just engage people, listen to them, help meet their needs, encourage them, empower them and be truthful with them.
2: You know, to be genuine, to be that vulnerable and transparent, you know, that you've developed with this group and I know you coach men uh primarily uh, you know in this area. What are what are some things that you have found that people either struggle with or or hold people back or stand in the way from actually having those kind of relationships and friendships in their life
0: number one for men and i only coach men i don't coach women simply because i've had such a history with being around men the number one thing for men is they tie their identity up into their position or their possessions and then when they lose either one of those it kills them i want to encourage people not to tie their identity in anything outside of christ We're enough in Christ. Now, I have possessions. I have title. But my identity is not tied to it. Once you discover that, you can relax and live the life of another, which is Christ. See, I don't need those accolades. I don't need that title. I don't need those possessions because my identity is found in him. And I'm not trying to teach a Sunday school lesson. I'm just saying in actuality, that's true. Then when they lose their job or lose their title or lose their possessions, it devastates them and it takes forever to work out of that.
2: Well, you know, it also paralyzes people. They're afraid to fail in business or, or do some of the things that they need to do because they're more concerned about what people might think if they're, they're not successful. Yeah, uh, they're, we need
0: to we need to fear missing an opportunity more than we fear failure.
2: So how do you make that that pivot that shift you know in your life as you've gone through all these ups and downs Aaron uh from shifting that identity from the world I'm sure it was maybe there in the beginning to this one where the identity comes from Christ
0: Well I call it the 18 35 60 rule and when you're 18 everybody's talking about you mm-hmm. when 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 you're 35 years old you don't care anymore And then when you get 60, you find out they weren't talking about you to begin with. (laughs) And that's true. true. You think people in their mind think if I do this and it doesn't work, everybody's going to be sitting around the dinner table talking about it. You're not that important. I can promise you they're not sitting around talking about your successes or failures. And so you've got to get over what other people think, right? People just want to be average. You know, they just want to be in the middle of the road. You know, it's safe there. It's not too far to the top. It's not too far to the bottom. We just kind of meander. I don't want to live that life. I want to live a life of excellence. And I know in order to live a life of excellence, I've got to take some risk. And so that's the reason I fear missing the opportunity more than I fear failure. I I fear missing the opportunity. So failure is we're all going to fail things i'm going to do in the future are not going to work, right? Don't do something stupid. I mean, don't go out here and, you know, leverage yourself to death and your whole family's devastated forever in a day. I'm not talking about that kind of risk. I'm talking about calculated risk. I'm talking about being careful, making good decisions, getting advice from trusted advisors, and then as a rule, if you got a dozen people that say, "Hey, I think this is a pretty good idea," probably it's going to work. But if you got you know, 10 people tell you it's not going to, if I'd have done the other deal that I was talking about, it would have failed. I I look back now and I see all the things. And then they would have said, well, I told you it was going to fail. You shouldn't have done it. So when you got that kind of counsel, you know, there's wisdom in the counsel of the multitudes. So just be willing to listen to the other people and it'll eliminate most fear. The other thing is, is being more prepared. Our failure is because of things we don't know. And if you will prepare more, have more data, more information, be more educated. It takes a lot of the fear away.
2: Well, you know, there, there's a tension there, right, between this the, this uh, desire to succeed, but this fear of failure. Uh, why sometimes we don't seize these opportunities in our life, or or take the time to really, you know, shift that identity and and try to connect with that calling and move and move forward. What are some of the keys you think to eliminating that that The tension between those two
0: you don't want to eliminate it you want to embrace it because if you don't have that tension you're probably going to go a little too far left or a little too far right Mm, that's a great point we went through the panama canal recently and they they're called mules there's one on the front the center and the back of the boat and they tie these cables they're 10 million dollars a piece that's what they told us they cost and they put these cables on the front of the boat, the middle, and the back. And they pull each way because there's only about a foot on each side of the cruise ship going through the Panama Canal. And they taunt. They pull it very, very tight. You couldn't move it. There's, the cables are big around your arm. I mean, they're huge. And you think about that, and there's tension pulling both ways. But the, you can't move. If the tension was gone on one side of the boat or the other, it would have hit the wall. So the tension never goes away. If you think you're going to get to a point and there's no more tension, it's not going to happen because we can't live a perfect life. That's another reason we need faith and dependence on Christ, so we trust in Him with the outcome. We want to work like it depends on us and trust like it depends on Him. So embrace the tension. If you think it's going away, it's not. It's never going away, but when you feel that tension, more than likely you're trying to do the right thing.
2: So have there been some points in your life, Aaron, that, that you know when that tension is very acute, that have just really helped you move forward?
0: As a direct result of the tension, helped me to move forward. Yeah, because the pain gets so great. You've got. <laughs> so it's like the dog was moaning and groaning on the front porch, and the guy asked his buddy, So why is that dog? moaning and groaning he said he's laying on a nail he said why doesn't he move and he said well it's not hurting bad enough yet (laughs) well it's kind of the same way for us you know you'll change when the pain gets bad enough so a lot of the times you get sick and tired of being sick and tired and you will change so i would have to say yes there are times i've put a stake in the ground and i said no more i will allow this and it causes me to move forward
2: well, I love this conversation. You know, the thing that I'm, you know, really taking away from this whole, uh, dialogue with you, Aaron, is just, uh, it's about living life intentionally, but understanding why you want to live that intentional life, you know, and as we wrap up, I, I'd love for you to just to share what, you know, as people are listening to this and have just heard th- this conversation, what are just some final thoughts you'd love to leave with them?
0: Well, as you said, my tagline is live on purpose mm-hmm. and stop Living a life of being reactive, you know, plan intentionally, you know, Robin and I still, we'll go down and sit on the front porch or we'll go in our sunroom and I'll get my iPad. She'll get our iPad. I'll say, what are the things we want to accomplish in the next six months? And we'll write it out. What are the, and you got to date it because it's just a dream. If it's not dated, it's a goal once you date it. And we say, we're going to do this or that. And this is the date we plan intentionally. We plan our vacations. When are we going to go? Gives us something to look forward to when we're going to do this remodel project or buy a new car. We do it intentionally. We don't do a deal, make a bunch of money and then go buy a car. We say, you know, hey, June next year, it's about time. Let's go look at a new car. We plan. That's why I wrote, what do you want? There's a question on here. It's one of my favorite questions, John. And I'll let your audience kind of think about this before they download all the questions. And one of my favorite questions on there is, if there were no geographic limitations and no financial concerns, what would you do with your life tomorrow? Most people can't answer that question because they're spending each and every day making enough money to pay for things that they shouldn't have bought to begin with. And it's just a repetitious cycle. It goes over and over. Instead of going, okay, this car is going to cost me X dollars. What do I got to do to save the money to get it? And you plan. What we have found out is that you'll enjoy it more and you will keep it longer if you will spend more time intentionally getting it. Delay the gratification. One of the biggest lessons that young people can learn today, you can't have what your parents have got. They've got 30 years, you know, your senior. Plan, plan, and plan some more and delay the gratification.
2: And it sounds like one of those keys to planning for you has always been this accountability group, this mastermind group, the the personal board of directors that you've intentionally brought around you.
0: Yeah, I'm writing a book right now called An Eagle's View, and it's about my time with the Eagles. That was the name of our mastermind group, and it's about my life, and it's about success and significance. And in my accountability group, I told them, I said, I want you to hold me accountable to writing the book. I've got to get it finished. I've put it off, and I need to get it finished. We meet every Thursday morning. This past Thursday, one of them said, how many words did you write this week? I'm like, oh, man, I wrote some, didn't write as much as I wanted. It's like, hey, you want the book finished? See, I feel that tension to get it done. First of all, it needs to be done. Second of all, I don't want to tell those guys next week that I didn't write. Right? As a result of the accountability, I get things accomplished, and you will too. We all need accountability. 50% of coaching is accountability because people don't want to say, I didn't get it done. You know, so this morning I got up, I wrote a thousand words. You know, it's like, I don't want to go in there next Thursday and not have written. So I'm going to try to write 500 to a thousand words a day and get this book knocked out. The accountability is huge for a number of reasons. First of all, it helps you accomplish your goals and dreams. And the second of all, it's what you bring. See, relationships are about what you bring, not what you take. So you've got to go into these accountability groups with the mindset of, I'm going to help. How to pull their dreams and goals to the next level.
1: If you'd like to learn more about Aaron, his coaching or his mastermind groups, just go to our show notes, eternalleadership.com slash 088. And there we'll have all those links and more. Eternalleadership.com slash 088. And as always, the link for those show notes is embedded in the summary of this MP3. Now at the top of the show, John and I mentioned that on Thursday, November 12th, John and I are going to be hosting a mastermind group and it's all part of just building community amongst our listeners and really pouring into you. The link for people to sign up is eternalleadership.com slash mastermind. Thursday, November 12th is the date for this and John, I know you and I are both really, really excited about this.
2: Yeah, very much because we've met so many incredible people in person through the coaching we've been able to do, the travel we've both had, Steve, the conferences we've been able to go and speak at, and uh, and just we've met so many people in person. Uh, but we want to meet you. There's so many people in this audience that we haven't met, and we're in 80 countries around the world. You don't have to just be in the U.S. to 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 be part of this virtual online gathering that we're putting together. So, you know, if you're kingdom minded, you're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, you're a leader please go to eternalleadership.com forward slash mastermind, save your spot. There's no cost. It's totally free. We're just going to have a great evening. You're going to develop some new relationships. Uh, We have a format. It's going to be powerful. I guarantee you. Coming out of this time together, you're going to have clarity. You're going to have some steps on a personal action plan, moving forward in your life on what is important to you. There's no agenda except all of us serving you in your agenda. So uh, we look forward to seeing you there. We can't wait uh, and have a great day. God bless y'all.
1: Like we said, when this fills up, we're going to be doing this again in the future because we want to get to know more and more of our audience. So eternalleadership.com slash mastermind next time on eternal leadership blogger and former actor tina marie griffin hollywood promotes a lie in the fact that there are no consequences and what you said you nailed the consequences are a huge thing that hollywood is not addressing and that's what's killing our younger kids from STDs to uh suicide to all the things going on if we would have positive entertainment coming out of hollywood John, I know the state of our youth today would be a hundredfold better than where it is today. The depression, the suicide, so much of that junk would be lifted because they have a higher self-esteem just because of just one factor that the media pumping out positive entertainment. Hear stories about what Tina saw during her time in Hollywood and get equipped to empower the teens that you know. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.